At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. promise. But I'm overflowing with joy today because we get a chance to continue on in our series on generosity. We've uh, simply entitled it Overflow. And that gives you such a great word picture of what uh, I believe God wants our lives to look like, bursting forth with the joy of Jesus that overflows in our generosity to others. It's only as you have received grace upon grace that you're able to extend it to others. That's why the subtitle of this series is simply this, From Him to Us for All. No matter what you have, time, talent, or treasure, it's all a gift. It's a gift from the Father. It's a gift from God, from Him to us for all. We're going to talk about that today as we uh, look to the Word of God. But before we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I just want to share a little story. I've been thinking about how simple acts of generosity can absolutely change the trajectory of someone's life. And it's been true definitely in my life. Yesterday was a really, really sweet moment. I got a chance to meet a man that I had known about who had impacted my life deeply but didn't know who I was at all. Sounds a little bit awkward, but let me just tell you the story. Uh, we were hosting yesterday a retirement reception for, for a friend, a leader, uh, Joe Stoll, who's been overseeing Cornerstone. We were hosting a reception for him here. And uh, in attendance was a man named Pastor Russ Kaufman. Now that name may not mean much to you, but he used to be the pastor at Grace Bible Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And in the mid-90s, Grace Bible Church donated a building that they owned uh, at the time to an upstart seminary that was called Michigan Theological Seminary, later called Moody Theological Seminary of Michigan. That's where I received my training. And so yesterday I got a chance to go up to Pastor Kaufman. I heard the story many times before and Pastor Kaufman's now in his 80s and and I just said, hey, we've never met, but I just want you to know that I so, I'm so grateful, I so appreciate the generosity of Grace Church. Because of your generosity, uh, you changed the trajectory of my life. I was able to get trained through that seminary, and uh, if it wasn't for that training, I wouldn't be here uh, today. And I thought about how much of a blessing it is when uh, our eagerness to give is matched with great partnership, how it transforms lives. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today as we look to God's Word. So open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to look at this continuing unfolding story. I feel like we've been in a, uh, a docudrama, if you will. We've been going week to week looking at this, this, uh, this uh, exchange, if you will, between the saints in a small city called Corinth uh, and their desire to be generous to the believers in this city called Jerusalem. Now, if you've been following along with the story, what you know is that Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was facing severe poverty during this time. They have been facing uh, really difficult, challenging economic times. 
and uh, this church at Corinth had decided, hey, we really want to be a blessing to them. Now, how do we make that happen? How do we go from desiring to be a blessing, miles away from them, and getting that gift to actualization and, and, and meeting their need? Well, the answer is through partnership. And what we're going to find today is how our readiness to give excels when uh, we have reliable partnerships. This is what God has desired for us. He's desired for us to be able to combine this desire, this deep earnestness to give, to be generous to others uh, with uh, great faithful partnerships. You know, God wants the church to be generous, and part of what he does in fulfilling that is gives us leaders of integrity, honorable leaders, so that it can be done in a way that is both faithful and fruitful in advancing the gospel. We'll look at a couple of ways that this happens. Let's look at first uh, verses uh, 11 and 12. And what we're going to see here is uh, a a real encouragement for us to fulfill our, our eagerness. And it says here, Paul writing, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable. I'm just going to stop right there for a moment. Notice what Paul is doing. Paul is encouraging them to fulfill a promise on a desire they have. But notice the way that he's doing it. It's not through a heavy-handedness. It's not through a guilt trip. It's not through a whole use of uh, a lot of imperatives. What Paul is simply doing is appealing to the desire that already exists within them. There is already what Paul calls a, a readiness, an earnestness. Even if we go back to verse number 10, we see it. He says this in verse number 10, And in this manner, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So notice, about a year prior, there was a desire that they had to meet the need. And then Paul, again, in verse number 11, says, now finish uh, doing it as well, so that your readiness, we see it again in desiring, it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And again, verse number 12, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable. You know, what Paul is doing is really encouraging them to to experience the fullness of the joy that comes when you uh, complete a gift. There is a, a portion of joy and blessing that comes just from desire. And many of us have experienced that before. It typically happens when uh, we're talking with other believers or in community with other believers, and we encounter the needs of this world, and something is sparked in our heart because of the work of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where we say, man, I would love to be able to do something there. I would love to be able to make a difference there. How many times has that happened in my life or in your life where you say, man, God, I would love for you to use me there. But we also know, I know I've experienced this personally, times when uh, life gets in the way, where desire for obedience is interrupted by the busyness of life or the uh, encroachment of other things. How many have been uh, or had experience before where God has told you clearly, you felt him leading you clearly to do some act of obedience that you never fulfilled on? Anybody ever done that? Come on, tell the truth and shame the devil. 
right? Birds of a feather flock together. We've all been there before. How many times have you experienced where the Lord has told you to call somebody or send a text or write a note and you say, yeah, Lord, I want to do that in your heart and then life gets in the way. Or maybe uh, the Lord has really impressed upon your heart to ask for forgiveness from somebody. Uh, that you know you've offended. Maybe it's a spouse or a child, and you say, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then uh, life gets in the way. Or maybe, again, it's in the area of generosity where the Lord has really impressed upon your heart to do something, and you fail to fulfill it. Well, that's exactly what Paul is concerned about with this group that he loves. He wants them to experience the joy, not only of desiring it, but the joy of actually fulfilling it. That's my desire for us as well. There are so many things that God has placed in my heart, in the hearts of our leaders, in the hearts of our church family. And my prayer is that we will give not only having the desire, but completing it. But I want you to understand this word desire because it is very key in understanding the nuts and bolts of biblical giving. What Paul is about to do over these verses that we're studying today is he's going to show us how to give in a way that is both faithful and fruitful, in a way that pleases God and advances the gospel. How many want to excel in the grace of giving? How many deeply desire that? Amen? And so what Paul is doing is he's showing us how to do it. And the first ingredient he gives us here is that there has to be eagerness. There has to be desire. This, this word readiness is where, in the Greek, where we get the word predisposition. They were predisposed, already in their heart, desiring to be able to do it. You know, there's a lot of motivations for giving, some that are good and some that are bad. I love what Paul picks up on, the good reason to give as opposed to all the bad reasons to give. Some people give out of fear. That somehow if I, don't, if I don't give or give in a way that other people can see and appreciate that maybe they'll look down on me. Listen, that is never a good reason to give. Never give out of fear. Other people give out of pride. Sometimes wanting to be seen so that they can have everybody looking at them and giving them applause. That's not a good reason to give either. What is a good reason to give? Out of this eager desire to be able to express the love of God that we have already received. And this is what the Corinthian Christians have in their heart. They've already received, again, grace upon grace. God has shown them so much love. I wonder if there's anybody out there that can testify, again, that God has been extraordinarily good to you. Anybody believe that in your heart? And when God has been good to you, there's a desire for you to be good uh, to others. And so, I want to encourage you that when you give, give out of an eagerness of heart that is an overflow of the love of God, not out of the fear of man, not out of pride to be seen, but simply because God has been so good to you and you want that goodness to be extended to others. As we go forward in verse number 12, he gives us another ingredient to faithful and fruitful giving. Here's what he says. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable. So God accepts it once we have that desire in our heart. But it goes on to say, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. If I could sum up that verse in one word, it would be proportion. 
that God wants you to give out of proportion of your resources. This is awesome because what this does is it eliminates peer pressure and it eliminates competition. That I don't have to feel the pressure to give exactly what you give because we're in different places but I gotta give according to how God has prospered me. And you have to give according to how God has prospered you. You know, occasionally people will stop me and ask the question, Pastor, how much should I give? Which is one of a pastor's favorite questions in the world. <laughs> pastor, how much should I give? And, uh, and I know what t- people are typically looking for is some uh, firm uh, percentage or, or number. And yes, I do believe that the first fruits belong to the Lord. But, but I believe that the, the New Testament teaching is giving out of grace, grounded in identity with God. And when our identity is in Christ... And our desire is to model his life of generosity, this gracious generosity. We're not looking for ways to limit what we give. We're looking for ways out of the abundant blessing that God has given to us to be generous to to people and projects that we believe will be faithful and fruitful in advancing God's kingdom. You know, this, this scripture also disrupts this thought of, Lord, I'll give once you prosper me. I'll give once I get rich. Lord, as soon as I uh, come into uh, this better economic state, then I'll be generous. What God is saying is no, to to the best of your ability, where you are right now, give. If you were with us at the beginning of this chapter, you would have heard the story of the Macedonian church who had this, uh, what I call Macedonian math. It's a math that exceeds human understanding. Here's how the math works. Extreme poverty plus exceeding joy equals extreme generosity. That's how their math worked. They didn't have a whole lot of money, but they had a whole lot of joy in Jesus and a desire to give. And when you combine those two things, it overflowed into generosity. You don't have to wait till you're wealthy to give. You give where you are to the proportion of your ability. And as God gives you more, you give more. This morning, we were blessed. It was a really, really sweet moment. Uh, One of our uh, greeters came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor Chris, a sweet little 10-year-old girl came with her offering, and in her envelope were uh, all of these coins that she had been saving over the week, about 10 years old. Couldn't even fit it into the box because it was bursting forth with coins. But that was her offering. And she brought it. How many uh, love this thought of a 10-year-old bringing the best that she has to offer? And I think it is a beautiful, yeah, praise God for that. I think it's a beautiful example of how God wants us to be. How do you think that that blessed the heart of God? I believe it blesses the heart of God when we say, Lord, I want to give you the best that I can. I'll I'll never forget when uh, the light really came on in my life for really wanting to be a generous giver. It was in college, and I was a broke college student. I was so broke that it took four other friends to pitch in to get a small pizza. That's how broke we were. But I remember a buddy of mine who had a need, and uh, I don't remember quite what the need was, but I just remember that I had about $5 extra, and I uh, gave it to him secretly. I put it in an envelope, put it in his little mailbox there, and And that was uh, my way of trying to encourage my my friend. 
Over the years, God has allowed me to earn more, and as God has allowed me to earn more, my generosity has increased. But I think God was just as pleased with that $5 gift as he is with what I'm able to give today. Every one of us, according to the proportion in which God has blessed us, should give. Whether it's a a building like Pastor Russ Kaufman gave to the seminary or whether it is a $5 gift from a college student or an envelope full of coins from a 10-year-old, let's do the best that we can and I promise you God will bless and prosper it. He goes on from there to give us another really powerful principle. Look at verse number 13. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. For as it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This, this principle of reciprocity, this, this commitment of the church, this, this sense of God's economy and equity where we would all support one another, that there would be no lack among us, that we would be generous to one another's needs. As a matter of fact, I believe that what this passage is really encouraging us to do is to be on the lookout for opportunities to be a blessing. When you wake up in the morning, there should be a prayer on your lips. Lord, show me where you want me to be a blessing. Again, with my time, my talent, and my treasure, maybe it's a blessing by just affirming your love in someone's life. Maybe it's a blessing by serving. Maybe it's a blessing through giving and generosity. But what I love about this equity is that if we're all thinking like that, then no one's taken advantage of. But notice what Paul says. This is really key. Paul looks at the fact that life gives us seasons. He says in verse number 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you are prospering now in this present time, but how many have lived long enough to know that life goes through ebbs and flows? How many have lived long enough to know that there are ups and downs in life? And so maybe you're at a high point economically right now as the saints in Corinth are at this present moment of the text, and he's saying right now you're in a season of abundance and you give. But there may be another season where you might be the one that's in need. You might be the one needing encouragement. You might be the one needing someone to serve you. You might be the one needing a little help. And all of it is okay because when we're spiritual family, that's the way God has designed it. That when we are in seasons of abundance, we would give eagerly. And that when someone else is in a season of abundance and we find ourselves in seasons of need, we would be able to receive sincerely. This is hard for us because we're in a culture that teaches this hyper or radical individualism. Notice that Paul doesn't give into any extreme economic theories. He doesn't give into uh, hyper collectivism, which says that there's this small group of central planners that are going to take your resources and distribute it according to their wisdom. That's not what Paul is preaching here. Nor does he give into this hyper individualism that all of 
what you earn is yours and you don't have to share with others. No, but he, he gives us a sense of God's grace at work in our lives that as we, by God's help, work hard and earn, that our desire should be to live a life of generosity because freely we have received and so freely we can give. And there's joy that overflows when we live a life where we see everything is from him to us for all. Amen? Well, he goes on and from there and uh, goes a little bit further into the power of partnership. And what, again, he's wanting us to see is how our readiness to give excels when it's matched with reliable partnership. Look at what he says here in verse number 16. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Let me just stop there for just a moment and explain what's going on here. It was not typical in their day, much like it is typical in our day, to get a request to give like this. And this is where there's a big difference culturally between our time and their time. In our time, a request to give happens all the time. By the time you get home today, you're probably going to get some nonprofit that's soliciting you for something. Or before the month is over, there may be a hospital that's asking you to give or alma mater that's asking you to give. And there's a lot of systems set up for that. Well, in Paul's day, it wasn't like this. This was an extraordinarily rare moment, and it was a moment that required a, a whole lot of trust. There, there wasn't cash app where you could kind of follow the transaction. No, you had to have faithful people who took your gift and delivered it to the appropriate predetermined place with integrity on your behalf. This is how the churches had to work together. Now, Paul, warning the saints in Corinth to feel confident that they could trust their resources uh, in this act of grace, he tells them, it's not just going to be me delivering this gift. Titus is coming with me. Now, why is this important? I don't have time to go through all of the, uh, the letters that Paul has written to the Corinthian church, but if you do read through it, what you find is that Paul had a... Um, delicate relationship with this church. And why? Not because of anything wrong he had done, but because there was this group that Paul called super apostles who were coming to upset and disrupt the church, and they were casting disparaging things about Paul among the saints that caused them to, at a bare minimum, kind of question Paul's apostleship. Much of what he writes to them is in defense of his apostleship, that he really is a man of God, that he really is a servant of the Lord. So Paul, being wise, is as if he is saying that if you have questions about me, that's okay. We're still getting to know each other, but I want to send to you Titus, who you know. Look at what he says, for thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. There, there's something significant here. What, what, what Paul is saying is that Titus loves you just as much as I love you, and of his own expense, he's going to come to you. And this was no easy travel. 
This wasn't, hey, let me buy a ticket to Amtrak. This wasn't, hey, let me use my Delta Sky Miles. He would have had to plan this trip and to go through great lengths in order to get to this group of people. But why was he willing to do it? Because he loved them and they trusted him. And this is how partnerships work in the gospel. Every single fruitful and faithful advancing of the gospel gift that Woodside has ever done has come because we have faithful partners. I think about our partners all over the world that are making a difference and even our partners locally that are making a difference. And, and this is what changes things. It's when our earnestness is matched by the earnestness of our partner. Let me just use Myanmar again, because I want you to see the reciprocity that's happening in this text. Notice what's going on. The Corinthians have an earnest desire to give to see the gospel advanced in Jerusalem. Well, Titus, loving them and the Jerusalem saints, has the same earnest desire, and so they can trust one another. And so when this gift of grace is given, they know it's going to be both faithful and fruitful, faithfully handled and fruitful in advancing the kingdom. Well, the example I give goes back to our Myanmar partnership. So, so here, our desire is to be able to see men trained to be able to lead churches and to communicate the gospel, to see leaders broadly raised up to reach their nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we have a partner in Myanmar that has that exact same earnest desire. And so because there is common, a common heart, common desire, and integrity there, we can give knowing that the gift will be used both fruitfully and faithfully. This is what Paul is getting at. But as if that was not enough, Paul goes further. Look at verse number 16, I'm sorry, 18. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed rather, by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Man, Paul is so wise in the way that he's laid this out. He's saying in addition to, uh, to me and to uh, Titus going, there's an additional brother, and this brother, you know who he is. Although he's nameless to us, he was famous to them and famous for all the right reasons. He was famous for preaching the gospel. This was a man who was so committed to the word of God that he became associated with the faithful preaching and living out of the scriptures. In other words, he was deeply trusted. And Paul says, not only that, but you appointed him. He was appointed as a leader by the churches in order to make sure you could have confidence in your giving. You know what this makes me think of? Makes me think of our annual meeting here at Woodside. Now, I know our annual meeting is a day that all of you have marked on your calendars at the beginning of every year. I already know it. You guys are already excited about it. You've reserved your spot. 
But there's a lot of things that happen at annual meeting. We celebrate what God has done. We have wonderful worship, but maybe at the height of what we do is the affirmation and the appointment of elders. Now, why is this important as it pertains to generosity? It's because when you give to this church, it goes through multiple stages. First, in order to make sure that it's cared for properly, there is a financial team on our staff. And they process our generosity and make sure that it's appropriately applied. On top of that, there's a finance committee that looks at the use of the resources to make sure they're being used appropriately. But on top of that are these elders across all campuses that you have voted to affirm to make sure that we are operating in the utmost integrity, applying all of your desire in giving according to our stated budget and will to the, the advancement of the gospel. How many thank God that these layers are there in order to make sure that our church operates in integrity? How many praise God for that? This is what Paul is getting at. Paul is saying, I want you to have confidence that we have a reliable partnership and we have a system that is in place to make sure that generosity is matched with integrity. And Paul's desire is not only to do what is right and honorable in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men as well. Well, if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on to say uh, in verse number uh, 22, and with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Paul is saying, in addition to me and Titus and this famous preacher who you love, whom you've appointed, we've added a fourth brother to come along with us who have been tested and proven as a faithful and reliable servant of the Lord, and he's earnest to deliver this gift. Now, to say that he's earnest to deliver this gift means that he's willing to go through much peril because to, to travel from Corinth to Jerusalem was no small feat. You would have to put your life on pause. You would have to go through, again, much peril, much adversity, but he was willing to do this because he was confident in what God was doing in them and wanted to be a part of the advancement of the gospel. My friends, this is how the word of God spreads. I want to give you one example of that here uh, that's happened recently uh, in our church. You know, we have um, missionaries that we support really all around the world, and recently two missionaries that we have been giving to uh, for, for many years now, Glenn and Lynn uh, Bays, came to us. They have been in Cote d'Ivoire for 40 years in Africa and uh, working on a Bible translation, dedicating their lives, and we've been helping in part to underwrite that. Well, what I have in my hands today is the finished translation of the scriptures for the people of Cote d'Ivoire. How many praise God for that? And, and, and here's the beautiful thing. This is what reliable partnerships look like. 
They've been there for four decades, Glenn serving as a doctor, a missionary doctor, and Lynn noticing the need for particular people groups to have access to the scriptures, went to Michigan State and then Michigan Theological Seminary so that she can get trained in linguistics and in the original languages of the scriptures, all so that she can lead a translation committee. And they have been faithfully working at the translation of the word of God for a group of people that maybe we've never met before, but who had a deep and desperate need for the scriptures. Well, now, according to this partnership, they have the very word of God, the inerrant, infallible, life-giving scriptures in their heart language. How many praise God for what he did through this partnership? This is what partnership looks like. We've been reading through this small book here, this, this Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. You can pick up a free copy if you want. It will change your life. But Randy Alcorn, again, quoting Jim Elliott, says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. We live in a world that is marked by consumerism, and the only antidote to consumerism is generosity. It's the only thing that breaks the grip of materialism on our lives. And the problem that I have, the problem that many of us have, is while we think that we own our possessions, so often our possessions own us. How do we free ourselves to live in a life of overflow? It is through generosity, and it starts right where you are. Finally, he closes this section by saying in verse 23, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Here's what Paul closes with, is that I want you to be able to boast before the churches of our integrity while we boast to the churches that you give to of your love. And that's my prayer for us today that we would be able to have boasting, that you would be able to celebrate the systems of integrity that God has placed within our church, and that we would be able to broadcast to the world that you've given your hearts first to Jesus and then to the saints for the advancement of the gospel. How many want to see the, the grace of Jesus spread around the world? Amen. How many have that desire? Let's stand. We're going to close in worship. Let's pray together as we offer our hearts before the Lord. Let's pray as our worship team comes. Father, we pray even now that you would have our hearts, that you would uh, use all of who we are, time, our talent, our treasure for your purposes. And we pray, the Lord, for reliable partnerships. We pray for our partners locally and globally that, Lord, through these partnerships that many would come to know you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.